everyone. Thanks for joining me, Carolyn, for this new segment of the So Here's What Happened podcast. From time to time, you can listen to me, Carolyn, chatting and interviewing various people who work in the film industry, from writers, actors, producers, and even animators, basically anyone who is willing to talk to me. And for this first episode, I speak with writer, sociologist, and producer, Nancy Wang Yuan, and film and TV critic, Laura Sirico. Together, we chat about Nancy's book, Real Inequality, which focuses on racism and racial inequality in the film industry, Asian American representation in North American media, the Summer of Asians, and the third straps known as Steven Yuan and John Cho. So stick around, and I hope you enjoy. So here's what happened when Carolyn talked. With me today, I have Nancy Wang Yuan and Laura Sirico. Sirico. Right, because I know your last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's my name. (laughs) All right, and um, so we're going to discuss representation in film and television, particularly with people of color and Asian and black. And to start off, I want you ladies to tell me a little bit about yourselves, so we can start with Nancy, and then we'll go with Laura. Okay, hi, everyone. My name is Nancy Wong-Yoon, and I am a sociologist. I wrote the book Real Inequality, Hollywood Actors and Racism, got published in late 2016, and was actually based on almost, almost 16 years of research. I started in 2000, so Hollywood um, has changed. I have to say, I, I've seen changes in the last few years, so I've had people on Twitter say, do you want to do an updated version of your book? But I think the, the basic tenets of uh, racism and sexism still hold, mm-hmm. and so and I'm, um, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Yes, thank you so much. And Laura? Hi, um, so I am a entertainment and pop culture writer for a freelance writer, but I have also written for, um, I'm an editor for New Reactor and Nerds Color. Um, I've done this for about six, seven years, and um, my focus has always been on trying to push for Asians. Um, but I've, I've covered mainly everything, but um, yeah, so I work with Disney, I work with a whole bunch of DC and other places. Right, so between you two, you ladies cover a good amount of years covering film and television and especially discussing representation. And so we're going to start. So for my first question is for Nancy, what made you get interested in sociology and how how the film industry plays into that in particular? So when I was an undergrad, I was actually a poetry creative writing major. (laughs) Actually, first fine arts. So I was not your typical, I guess, Asian. Oh, oh no, I was. I was pre-med too. So oh, yeah. all those together. <laughs> I was trying to trying to please the family and myself. So, but then I took um, a sociology class and it was one of those classes where kind of your entire life comes into focus. Yeah. And so I, I had already, um, I was already a, an English major, so I liked it. So I didn't actually finish, I, I mean, I finished as English. I didn't go into sociology at first. And then I decided that I wanted to get a PhD and teach college and do research and such. So, so then I did sociology. And, but throughout that time, I was always interested in representation because I was a latchkey kid mm-hmm. and I grew up socialized, completely socialized and watching television like all of my childhood. And and interestingly, I think that as an immigrant, I came when I was at five years old, that it was the introduction to what 
I mean, maybe not the real America, the real United States, but at least um, for someone who, you know, was just going to school and coming home, uh, it was a window into what uh, the United States was at that time for me. I, I did, I think, eventually notice that there was a disconnect between kind of, you know, I, I immigrated to Long Beach and there were refugee kids. It was a very diverse school. It was actually one of the poorest schools in the district. And, and that wasn't, you know, represented on television at all or in the movies. But, um, but just, I think, learning English and all sorts of stuff. I mean, you know, Mr. Rogers documentary just came out and yeah. I used to watch that. I, I watched PBS. Like, I learned Spanish and English at the same time on Sesame Street. And, and Mr. Rogers, I used to call him um, in, in Mandarin, the man who changed his you know, clothes and shoes before I even knew how to say Mr. Rogers. Right. <laughs> and, and I think that um, television was just, it held a very special place in my um identity formation. Of course, when I got older, um, I realized that there was this uh, underrepresentation. I never really seen myself. I mean, when I grew up in Taiwan, obviously I saw myself, but then as I became Asian American in the United States, that experience was never, you know, you, you see maybe kung fu movies <laughs> dubbed you know, on television, and then you see white folks. And there really wasn't anything that represented my experience. Maybe the closest was like, I love Lucy, you know, like, you know, Ricky being a, you yeah. know, an immigrant. Um, that was probably the closest thing that I saw that was on like education. But otherwise, yeah, I, I was always fascinated by representation. As an English major, I think that actually played into like, I was really interested in discourse and looking at text, looking at film as text. And, and so all that then came together when I got into sociology night. I, I was really interested in people's experiences and stories, but also not just kind of hearing their stories, but compiling them and seeing patterns and how they speak into larger systems and right. hearing, you know, just give, gathering kind of stories that then can serve as evidence for, for a larger, um, larger look at what is going on on an institutional level in Hollywood. Right. And for you, Laura, how did you get into film criticism? Um, well, I grew up in, I grew up in Staten Island. So that's like the whitest of the whites uh, <laughs> that you could ever grow up in. Um, thank God I, I got out of there when I was six, seven, um, like in between, I think. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I stayed in New York area. But I, you know, I never, I was always surrounded by white people. And so I never really knew my identity other than what my parents would talk, teach me in television. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to California I suddenly became immersed by um, Asians, tons of Asians and people who looked like me. And it kind of opened my eyes that I was, um, miss, what I was missing out too, because I was just, around, I grew up with a straight white, like this, like the whitest of the whites, and I had the accent and everything. Yeah. Um, so, like, dear white people? I'm not I, dear white people. Um, sorry to bother you. You had the white yeah. voice. Oh, like, right. Yeah. 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 Like, it was, it was, it was extremely, and it was a Staten Island accent. So, it was like New Yorker. Mm -hmm. Like, it came, it came out when I went, the, went out with some New Yorkers. But, like, um, and, it, and, and, you know, people would make fun of me, and I didn't know what they were talking about, though, because. Um, I, I'm Asian. I looked, I was the only one who looked different. So um, there's only probably I looked in my my kindergarten yearbook. There's only two two other Asian guys. One was half a half Asian. So we um, and I connected with him again. So that was cool. But it, it we were that was us. And people would make fun of us. Um, and you know, it felt very isolating. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know any better because I just thought maybe I just looked like this because I looked like this, and it was just sad. 
Um, and coming to California and being surrounded by Asians, you know, it made me open eyes like, oh my God, like there's more, more of me. And also like growing up because I was teased and bullied, I was still teased and bullied. I only had my TV as my friend. And so, um, I grew up with Star Trek, I grew up with Star Wars, I grew up with all the geeky stuff you could think of, She-Ra. And, um, you know, it was just, I, I wanted to be like those people, but people would tell me, you don't look like them, so you can't be them. And that was painful. Um, and so, you know, growing up, I'm just like, why isn't there someone who looks like me? And I really got involved in like growing up later on. I was like, you know, why, why aren't we made more visible on television and movies? And why are we the stereotype? Because I got made fun of because I was in a white community right. like that. So, you know, it became really like personal for me. And when I do see representation, it kind of brings me back to my childhood that I'm finally someone like, Maybe there's a kid that, like, my kids or my future kids or my my, um, my nephew and nieces can have that that I didn't get to have. Yeah. And so that's why I really push for it whenever I see, like, Star Wars getting characters, Star Trek getting characters, and people are like, oh, you're so emotional. I'm like, you don't know. Yeah, you You really don't know. You don't know. (laughs) Yeah, um, like, even though I'm black, I mean, I grew up in Barbados in the Caribbean, I'm surrounded by black people. I think the part for me where representation really started to matter was as a... I would say a preteen because back home we always watched a lot of Western TV or I should say more like North American TV. So we had like Caribbean shows, but they weren't, there wasn't anything necessarily geared towards kids. There was maybe like one or two variety shows geared towards kids. But like in the Caribbean, everything is so heavily influenced by North America and the United States in particular. When we watched shows, it was always, it was like 98% of the time American TV shows. And we hardly ever got to see like, um, black people and if we did we were always like side characters and there were very few shows that I watched growing up with black people or even like Asians so like sex when you mess with Sesame Street I was like I could relate to that because I like on evenings it was standard you go home do your homework turn on TV and it's Sesame Street and when you're watching Sesame Street I did get to that's when I first realized that you can see people of different cultures and different ethnicities represented in one space because Sesame Street you had um, Maria who was Afro-Latina and you had um, and you even had the, some of the, the puppets were like different um, races right and there were different at least, even if there were different colors as in like the first colors you know they represented people of different cultures because you have like a Spanish puppet you'd have like um, a Chinese puppet and they would be speaking different languages so that's where I I became interested in seeing different people represented on TV and speaking about languages like I, I can say one thing about Green Cup Barbados we like we were taught different languages in primary school because you either have the choice of French or Spanish I, I took like basic Spanish from primary school going through into secondary school and it was and so you always so you had those choices and I think now I think they're doing like Mandarin classes because we, we do trade with the Chinese government right so that's always been interesting to me to see different cultures and I was watching the documentary you did um, you produced talking about it was in 2014 where they were talking about the Confucius um, school system and it was and it, to me is there's such this uh, I think the word I'm looking for is reticent but is that people are very reticent especially in North America to, about learning different cultures in North American spaces they don't want to hear other languages and it's like you guys are all immigrants why are you so afraid of learning or hearing a different language and, and learning about a different culture, like learning about something isn't going to make you, isn't going to take away your nationality. It's not going to take away your ethnicity, right? So it's always, so like when I'm see when I see something like that, 
culture, different cultures not being represented in film and on television, it's just not realistic to me. Yeah, and the kind of reticence, what you're saying about learning other languages, continues to make people who know those languages other. Right? Yeah. It, it keeps them as foreign rather than, oh, this is a global world that we're living in and and if there's an economic downturn in the United States, maybe we should you know, engage with other cultures exactly. and, and actually um, increase our skill set that way, especially when I think that in the United States, it really is a multilingual society. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the state of California, I would venture there are as probably more, well, there are definitely more non-English, I mean, there are other uh, non-English languages spoken in the state of California than English, or in, in addition to English. Yeah. Well, the U.S. doesn't have an official language, language right. so that's what's the best thing, great thing about it, is that all the languages, any language can come in, and there's no official one. So I always get mad whenever people say, this is America, we speak English, and I'm just like, there's no official are we, language. Are, you, are they even somebody say we speak American? I'm like, there's no such thing as American. No. American is not a language, right? <laughs> no. So, so it's like, what is like, what are you talking about? Like, so even and like, even if they want to well, go back, people to, say speak Mexican. Or speak well. Mexican. Oh my god! Exactly. Yeah, that would be like, and, and so like even and so like I remember and it just clicked in my head like they always talk about okay so they talk about Irish immigrants and like if you want to refer to Irish immigrants then you why don't you go learn Gaelic, <laughs> right? If you want, you know what I mean? Or or, or go learn um, Scottish dialects. Like if you you because they want to always say oh we 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 are Irish immigrants and stuff but you don't know Gaelic you don't know the first word. <laughs> you don't know even how to say hello in um in Gaelic. So what are you talking about? Well, this is the problem though that because they don't they've lost the exactly yeah. which is you know I mean it's true for all immigrant groups that over yeah. generations you do, lose, yeah. you, you do lose the mother tongue. But um but I think that 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 distance from uh, the, the previous culture makes it really hard for descendants of white immigrants now to see anything other than Amer- quote-unquote American culture, which right. is synonymous with white culture right. a lot of times. Yeah. Well, what makes me mad is that when they say, I speak American, I'm just like, Native Americans are the first one here before you. So their languages would be the American exactly, language right? anyway. Exactly. If you were to say, say a comment like that, a statement like that. Exactly. But then there they, are so many languages. Yeah, there's so many in dialects in there for the Native Americans because there's so many different tribes. Right. So, I mean, big one. Exactly. <laughs> and it always, as, and it kind of always, like, it's, it's always astounding to me where people see those who speak other languages as being less than. I'm like, you, not only racially, but just like, um, also educate, um, education wise. I'm like, do you understand how hard it is to learn the English? English is, I think, one of the hardest languages to learn. So I always applaud people as, because I live in, living in Toronto now who can learn. English and some of those other people they speak three four other languages because they know their native tongue and then they have dialects that they learn and then a lot of them do the work in business they know other languages like Mandarin and French depending on where they're coming from and then they, on top of that they gotta go and learn English right and it's like then like why are you why are you so afraid about for people learning other languages I wonder is sometimes I wonder if it has to do with insecurity and then when you and when you're seeing it reflected on screen in film. Is that for like for instance when you watch a lot of shows um, dealing with for, unfortunately terrorism, there's always um, they're always Arab, they're always Arabs. But then when they learn, when they, they see like there's always this fear. I because I heard someone mention, oh, I don't like to see, I don't like to hear them speaking Arabic. Even though the even though the characters are supposed to be Arabic, they like I don't want to hear them speaking Arabic and stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like that's their language, and it's a, it's a natural language. You you why don't you go and learn if you're afraid if you if you if you don't know if you're afraid to know what they're saying? Go and learn it, 
right? And and even so, so the, the comment is that they they hear they, Arabic, they, they don't they don't appreciate. Yeah, even. they don't appreciate it. I'm like, but it's a first and first. It's a beautiful language. I think it sounds beautiful and it's written. But it's like there shouldn't be a lot more ancient than English. Exactly yeah. right. And and English is an amalgamation of like dozens of other languages because we have German, French, Italian. And some Scottish words, like my last name is Irish, we're gonna say science and like, <laughs> right? And like, but like, English is it, so funny because they always refer to English as such a good language, but and it's an amalgamation of, of dozens of other languages. You, in, in a day, in one conversation, you could probably say at least three words that originated in another language apart from Anglo Saxon. Right, so I'm and and, I, and I'm thinking about it, and, and the reason I'm speaking about languages in particular is because for fresh off the boat, they had their first episode last season, which was strictly in Mandarin, and I remember it was such a big deal, and I was thinking, why is it such a big deal that a show centered around Chinese characters? Why is it such a big deal that they have an episode where they speak strictly Mandarin? And it shouldn't be like that. Should not be such a big deal because that's a part of their culture. That's a part of their household, right? Yeah, it's the concern about the audience, right? Um, because it's broadcast, so yeah. broadcast, that broadcast um, networks has always had that kind of. We need to reach the widest. Yeah. We need to reach the widest breadth of audience, and we need to reach Middle America, which is a code word for white conservative audiences. And so I remember when Lost had um, they had two Korean right. characters, so right? And um, and so they had a. Um, they had to have subtitles, mm-hmm. and that was one of the first times that, again, this was also ABC, I believe, yeah. where they had on network television subtitles, and there was this fear, oh, our audience is going to think it's a foreign, you know, that they turn to the wrong yeah. channel, and it's like channel, you know, the foreign channel, because, again, they just, you know, it's, it's this idea that American television must always be in English. Another thing is the audience, the people who complain are the people who don't watch Fresh off the boat, anyway. Right. People who complain are just like they just want to complain to complain for the sake of complaining. Yeah. Um, but the people I know, tons of people when they were live tweet, live tweeting because I live to the uh, audience. A lot of the people who watch it are were fine with it. It's usually people who are just like afraid of change, right. and they see the news like, oh no, the Chinese are taking over, and they already have that fear of China. Um, going, what's going on right now? And I'm just like, these are Chinese Americans, and they're all played by Asian Americans. Exactly. Um, and they're run by uh, Asian Americans and Americans. This is not a Chinese takeover. Um, exactly. So it's kind of, it's yeah, it's kind of you kind of have to explain it to Middle America sometimes. Yeah. It was that Super Bowl commercial with the was it a Coke or a Pepsi commercial where they said things in different languages? Yes, that was that? at the last Super Bowl. It was uh, one of their biggest commercials. Pepsi, I can't remember, but it was. Um, and but there was a lot of controversy yeah. saying that how could you do this to with such an American brand? Right. And that so again it's the idea that America equals English equals white. Like, exactly. Right? So or and if you are a person of color, you better be speaking English because you know you wanna you wanna seem like you're assimilating. Um, and so it is this this fear of the other, fear of the unknown, fear and fear of things that, that is um that is just unfamiliar and possibly threatening just because you don't know it. Right? Yeah. So it's it. I and I when I when I tweet a lot, I always say all a lot, a lot of it falls down to just ignorance, like just world ignorance, like ignorance of like different cultures and and ignorance of different ethnicities and understanding that we like the world can't exist in a bubble. Like we all exist. We all have to interact with people on a daily basis from different cultures. And if you try to isolate yourself to me. Your life can't be that interesting if you're always if you're always only wanting to be surrounded by people 
that look like you, sound like you, and if you only want to watch films and television shows with people that look like you, sound like you, because to, to me, that's no way to live, right? Because it's like the world is filled with 7 billion people and they're all and they all speak different languages and we all look differently and we all sound differently because we have different dialects and is and to me it's like how can you say that you you're interested especially in art for using film and television that you're interested in this and you don't want to see all the all the aspects of it right because some of the best television shows and I will always be talking about it are Korean dramas that I'm watching currently right they're like because their experiences and their their culture influences how they tell stories and like that's how you learn, and you can pick up different things about different people. Do you people. know Korean from watching so much? I know how to. I I need to. <laughs> I I do try to pay attention, but I'll I'll admit sometimes it's hard for you to pick up. So like I was telling um our friend Esther, I thought that the word for yes was day, and she's telling me no, it's net it's because it's an N. I'm like, are you sure? We had an argument. I was like, are you sure? It sounds like a D. And she's like, no, it's an you're end. arguing with a Korean <laughs> person know, right? about her language. I know, right? But it was, but, but for me, I, I think it's fun because that's how I learn, right? And she's like, no, yeah, I'm like, no, I know. Yeah. And I can listen and I can actually hear now that I, I hear it because I was going just strictly off of auditory, right? But I know to say Senange is yes, and I'm assuming that that is um, Eros love and it's not filial love because they, they only say when they, to the, because when I notice when they're saying I love you to like a friend, it's different to when they're saying I love you to the romantic interest. So I'm like, Senange, I used to have no Senange. Is is ego stuff and I'm still yellow. No, I um, uh, what what you know? What's sad about like what you said about white culture that like white people are kind of afraid of anything that's not them. That's why you see a lot of like other people, like Russians and other foreigners, who talk, they say, "I'm an immigrant, but I don't get hate." And, yeah. and they they actually I've seen a lot of posts about that. They're like, you know, what? I'm 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 a um, I'm a immigrant. I, I I'm not I'm not a I don't have a I'm not an American citizen. But I do not get the same hate or the same response from when I tell white Americans that I am a immigrant. And exactly. Because and they say nothing happens to them. There's no even if they speak their, their native tongue, they don't get anything because their skin. Exactly. And so we like we as like people of color have to deal with deal with that because. We we're, we look different from differently. Yeah, it's so obvious. And the thing is, is unless I and and this is something I was saying like for the last few years, I I, I call myself an immigrant. I live in Toronto and I'm an immigrant because I'm from another country. But I find like in North America, white people don't refer to them generally. Don't refer to themselves as immigrants, even if they're from an even if you know they immigrated from another country. They literally just don't think of themselves that way. And when we think of immigrants, we we usually us attribute it to people of color and I think that's part of the problem too like they like white people literally don't see themselves as others they live they are. in uh, other countries they're called expats, expats. <laughs> but, yeah. but people of color are immigrants and there's always a negative I should call myself an expat I should call myself an expat <laughs> I'm an expatriate right I'm like but, but the thing is and the thing is even if you say the word immigrant like it, to me it doesn't have a negative connotation but when uh, when coming from white people and being attributed to people of color it's always with a negative connotation right it's always you, you always you always know in the back of your head that they're thinking of you as an other even though even though they themselves may have immigrated from another place right and 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 in film and television like especially north american television versus i would say even like british television like you don't really like you don't really see it being done the same way because in a lot of british broadcasting there are a lot of immigrants because you have people who are 
who are Indian or African or African descent, and they're like first, or first or second generation immigrants. And it's not that big a deal, but in North American programming, like you always have to know this person immigrated from this country. Like you have to know that they're not from North America, right? And so I think, and I think that's another part of it because like you're always constantly seen as the other. You're always constantly viewed as being set apart from and being slightly outside of of the norm, right? And okay, so and so for your book, Real Inequalities, um, which was published in 2017, your main focus is about um, not only racism in the film industry, but also racial inequality with how it's represented in film and television. So um, I wanted to know what was the biggest surprise that you learned while researching and writing the book? I think uh, I, when I went in, I thought, why would actors of color want to do this job? Yeah. Given that not only are there so few jobs and then they're all stereotypes, but you're also facing kind of overt racism and sexism in the industry where, you know, I mean, that's that was really useful in that, oh, well, people just kind of say it in Hollywood and casting, right? Can you be more Asian? Can you be more Black? Can you do a more ghetto? So they would use those terms, which are only mildly coded, right? But really not when they're, when they mean stereotype and they're using the racial or ethnic term. Um, and so I just thought, why would they do this? And I think that what was surprising was that there were um, lots of different strategies that they deployed in order to kind of, there, there was a kind of variety. And I think that not everybody, it's not like people always do one thing either. They just have a lot of things in their arsenal. Yeah. And what I was inspired by was kind of the, the social activism that actors of color um, had. They, they, they understood that they were one of only kind of images of their groups, right, on screen. And so they took their jobs very seriously and they would do things behind the scenes. Like they would um, negotiate like costume changes. Like there were a lot of Asian Americans who had to wear, who were asked to wear like, um, like stereotype robes and things like that. And then instead of saying, hey dude, this is racist, they would, uh, they, they would come up with really creative tactics like, like talking about the authenticity of the story. Like, you know, I'm in Virginia. And I think I would try to fit in, even though these are totally comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And actually, I would love to take it home, you know, to wear. But um, but I think that um, as someone who is, as an Asian American in Virginia, I would try to wear just kind of, you know, Western, clothes. Western clothes. Like a regular t-shirt and <laughs> I mean, those are, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish I could say that those were like authentic Asian garb, but they're usually stereotype garb. And another woman was, was like, supposed to be a Chinatown trinket shop owner and she she was asked to wear like a really kind of like short you know sexy little dress and she's just like if I'm working at a store for this many hours I don't think I'd be wearing this kind of right dress. and so and then there was one African-American female uh, actor who um, who was the bank teller uh, not bank teller I'm sorry bank manager and then she noticed that all her dialogue was written kind of in you know, street talk mm-hmm. stereotype street talk and she's like well this is this is not realistic. And exactly. she rewrote it and then hoping that she could just get away. Yeah. But then the director came in and he's like, I re- I noticed you rewrote most of your dialogue. And then she tried to explain that a you know, bank manager wouldn't speak like this. Um, actually, most professionals, right? Exactly. Saying, but she was really trying to be very specific to the sketch. And the director was not having it, but then the star of the show walked by, and the star was actually British, and she got it right away. And so even though the actor didn't say anything, she was like, oh, it's too street, huh? She's like, yeah, let's change it. So so that was an example of, like, an outline, mm-hmm. right? So right. that I think that Hollywood, if, if 
you're a person of color, you're most likely the only person of color on set mm-hmm. because it's not just, you know, um, racially homogenous, you know, uh, in terms of the cast, but crew as well. So a lot of the actors that I talked about feeling very isolated on set where they had no one to turn to. Like, you know, psychologically, that takes a toll. So that was also a, a, a kind of a surprise in the sense that I didn't think about, like, what it's like to work on a set as an actor for besides just, you know, being asked to do stereotypes, you also have no allies, potentially, right? You're like, there was one um, Asian-American actress who um, who was was given a, a role that was stereotyped, and she, she talked to the director, and he's like, you know, just live with it, you know, just deal with it. And and then she, so not only was she, she, she had to play the stereotype, but when she actually tried to, change it she was once again shot down. shot down and basically experiencing you know discrimination yeah and so then she noticed that she just felt completely like it was like an old boys club and everybody was four friends except for her so she was completely isolated because of her role but also because of who she was on set so so it's like it's like the racism and sexism was deeper than I could have imagined. Yeah. But it was all but also the the actors of color were braver and more creative and more um, strategic than I imagined. So yeah. those were the, the surprises. Yeah, but, but hearing you say that the thing that's occurring to me is that as people of color, we always have to be diplomatic. Yes. Even in situations where we have the right to be angry and to be upset, we always have to mo- moderate our speech. We have to watch what we say, how we say, and to who we're saying it, because we all, in the back, we're always thinking, I don't want to lose this opportunity. I don't want to lose this job. Because when you, you, you read stories about actors and directors and producers and whatever, doing all kinds of things on sets and they get away with it. But a person of color, we have to be like, we can't risk this. We can't say to like a, a director, like, this is straight up racist. What this thing you're writing doesn't make any sense. What you're asking me to do is unrealistic right and it's just plain old ignorant but as people come we have to say as you said like she has to be like you know as someone who lives in virginia i think it would i think wearing pants i think wearing a pants and shirt is what an asian american would do also and like you're thinking you're thinking this is so obvious like it's i live here why would i be walking around in a kimono or or whatever but to them it's like they're like so caught up in stereotypes that they themselves create and perpetuate they don't look at the fact that we are normal people too like you know every every black person does not speak ghetto or even if we do we do know how to conduct ourselves in a professional manner and in a professional setting like they have a woman who's a bank manager i'm I'm from the caribbean like we know how to speak dialect and we know we know when and where to apply dialect so i've worked in corporate offices I'm not, I'm not going to pick up the phone and be like, yo, who's this, right? I'll pick up the phone and I'll be like, hello, thank you for calling so-and-so. How may I direct your call, right? But to them, they're thinking that we, they, what they see on TV is, is, is who we are. And the funny thing is, it's a, it's a vicious cycle because they're creating stereotypes and they're perpetuating it and they're expecting us to live by the same stereotypes, right? And they don't want to, when we try to correct them, they'd be like, you know, you're being antagonistic. You're being difficult. And then when you do that, then you can't get a job. Right, and so for Laura, as a as someone who 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 writes film criticism and who is a part of the industry in a in a more in a more observing manner, like your job is to observe and to see, like what 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 is the one of the most surprising things you've seen being as a as a writer. So I've been um, researching a lot of like because I love Doctor Who, so I've been researching a lot of Asian history in Doctor Who. Yeah, um, and like what you said, like back in the day. 
we come a long way. Asian, it, like it's not still not good, mm-hmm. but we've come a long way where we have allyship or we we're able to say things like try to negotiate. But back then, like when I was researching with the first doctor, they had some Asians in the background and stuff, and they white they whitewashed as well, yellow faced as well. Uh, um, it's difficult to trap back in there because you're still trying to settle out, like settle in as as an actor, and it's really difficult when all the roles that you have are the stereotypical ones. And so I honestly feel like even though a lot of people shame those people and I feel, I always like, I like people are always like, why did they play those stereotypical roles? I feel like they paved the way for a lot of actors now to kind of say like, no, we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Like this enough is enough. Like, yeah, even though Long Duck Dong is a horrible character mm-hmm. um, from 16 Candles, um, now we all in unison say, no more. Yeah. We're not going to play that guy. Um, and like, you know, there's always, there's like throughout the, the Doctor Who years, and I'm seeing the trend, there's still no doctor, like Asian character that I can say that is, is, um, beyond that significant other than this year, they have a, the first Asian companion. So that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. It's the first Asian companion and she's a normal character and I'm really excited for her. Um, so she's the companion to, to the female doctor? To the female doctor, Jodie Whittaker. So Mandip Gill is a South Asian actress, uh, British act- actress, first Asian companion, um, because the last Asian companion, quote unquote, was the companion to the master, the villain. Right. And um, wow. even though he, in the end, he did turn around and help the doctor, he's still technically not considered the doctor's companion because yeah. he helped the master throughout the thing because he thought the master was the doctor. It's his whole thing. But um, still. So, he, so not only was he evil, he was dumb? Is that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and the worst thing is it was set in Chinatown oh, in San Francisco. Um, I love the actor. He's amazing. Um, and he, he's been great in all the meetings that we, like the Doctor Who events. Um, but it just says a lot for the writers of BBC and, and how it's changed throughout because like I did a whole history and I did research of behind it because I wanted just the trends for Asians, how, how it's been for Westernized, well, British Asians. Um, and so I do see like they had to take those jobs in the back in the day. Like I, I feel like a lot of the actors who are popular now, they probably did some things that they to, in yeah. order to get to where they are, and like, and like, I don't blame them sometimes. Now I do. Now if they were to take a job, but like, you should know better. Then I'm like, you should know better, because. Um, but it, it's it's hard for Asians in the industry, and I do see it. And um, but I do see a, a change now that we are becoming normalized in in films, and uh, the stereotype is actually turning more into. Instead of the geeky uh, guy, we're the dumb guy, which is fine. Which is something different. Um, Hopefully, they will have a middle Mm. eventually soon. Because um, as much as I love um, seeing like the change, I just would like to see more variety of different Asian characters, and not just either you're really nerdy or either or you're really really dumb but cute. Well, this is the perfect segue for what I wanted to discuss next. Um, Steven Yuan's character in Sorry to Bother You. I, I, listen, I love that character and I love the film, but I was so excited when I saw his casting because anyone who knows me knows I love Steven Yuan. I love his character, Glenn, from Walking, from The Walking Dead, and I was so, de- I was devastated when he died because his character, I think he had one of the best character progressions of any character I've ever seen on TV because he went from, a stereotype because he was very close to um, 
the little the, the, the little boy character in um, Tomb Raider. I, I think it was Tomb Raider, right? Um, mm-hmm. Short stop. And um, um, uh, the, the was it? It was Harrison yeah. Ford. Harrison Ford, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. it was like um, Not Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider because he was a pizza delivery guy. He was a pizza delivery guy, guy right? And he even wore like the same baseball. He even wore. He was even wearing a Raiders baseball cap. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. right? Right. So and so, like I remember when I was first watching Walking Dead, it was like, please. Please don't do this to this character, because it's the first time we've seen a uh, Asian male character in technically not only in an apocalypse film, an apocalypse mm-hmm. genre um, product, but also is in one where you know that to, in order to survive in this world, you have to be physical, you have to be able to fight. Yeah. So when I saw him, I was like, please don't kill off then. But then we had the episode with the Well Walker, and he volunteered. And he got in there and he overcame his fear. I was like, yes, because you know, I'm like, this character is growing, and he grew and he became like a leader. He he became a sounding board for the main character Rick Grimes and and Stephen Yuen. Like he, you could see him growing as an actor in this role. So when he died, I was devastated. Well, he also became a love interest of the main lead character Maggie. Maggie, yeah, Maggie. she was the main lead. And it, and it's, it was rare to see a an Asian male in a lo- as a love interest. Yes. And so that was a big impact. And their love story was so sweet. So sweet. And so um, sweet, right? It was like had, a rom-com in the middle know, of right? <laughs> <laughs> Walking Dead. They had great chemistry. They, they did. really did. They really had great chemistry. And, you know, it was, it, it, he... And the great thing about Stephen Yuen is that he's never... I've never seen him faltered as a character, yeah. um, as an actor, because in the he, he was in Big Bang Theory. He didn't play a stereotypical roommate. He just played a regular guy who's like, I'm sick of you. I he was only in one where he's like, I don't want to be roommates with Sheldon Cooper anymore. Oh, bravo. Yeah, and like, and you know, he didn't have an accent. He was just like, I am out. I do not yeah. want to be with this guy. And then like his other roles that he's, he's gotten ever since, He's played like this normal, just a normal Asian American guy, and even in Okja, he didn't have to become Korean Korean. Exactly, he got to keep his Korean Americanness, and um, I think I, I really commend Stephen Yuen as a as an actor, and I know other actors like Ryan Father looks look up to guys like right. Stephen Yuen because he's never had to falter, and he's always been open about his roles and and the whole of being Asian American mm-hmm. and acting. And and his struggles because when he after he left Walking Dead, he was very open about the fact that he had to audition for bit parts. And people were like, he should not have to be auditioning for these kind of like walk on roles. We were like, do you not know who he is? Do you not know why he's done on this show? I couldn't understand why he didn't just get a superhero movie right now. Yeah. Can you can you because... tell me why? Biggest mystery of twenty seventeen. <laughs> yeah. I mean he is the sad thing is like we it took John Cho a long, long time, mm-hmm. and also an indie movie, like to finally get a lead role and yeah, a social as, media campaign yeah, as well. Yeah, <laughs> as a, a, in a in a bill in a top billing for searching and a, for this month, and so he's been in the industry more than twenty years. Yeah. Like he looks like he hasn't, but he has oh, um, more than more than twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> more than twenty years. Yeah. Actually, yeah, since like before even the American Pie stuff. Like he has been, and it took him that long, and he has star power. He has like he's been like we've been waiting for him to be in the leading role, but it took him this long, and so I feel like they're ignoring Stephen Yuen, who has the same or not even maybe even more, or probably same because they're both amazing mm-hmm. um, star power, and they could probably take the lead because I'm so sick of Mark Wahlberg and all those Please. other people. Oh my gosh, why is he getting the top billing? That wall, that movie about the wall, top billing, top pay. Yeah, even if his films are not necessarily yeah. top, top box office hits, 
they still like, it's like they remember the one because when you're giving an actor so many chances, one of those things are going to hit and they're going to say like, Oh, they, he did really great in transformers. Yeah. And therefore, but you know, do, but but I mean, <laughs> well, it's like, right. Is it him or is it the franchise? Exactly. Right? And so, but when you only put Stephen Yu and, and John Cho in like one small, tiny film, of course, they're not going to be able to yeah. say they're big box office exactly. draws yeah. because you're not putting them in those films. Like for example, um, Sam Jackson's actually the top, um, he's been in the most highly paid movies yeah. in uh, of all, all actors, actors of all yeah. time, right? According to IMDb. Um, but he's not the, he's not the top paid actor. Exactly. And that's right? the thing. Mm-hmm. So it isn't even about who is the top box office draw. It's really about who they imagine to be the, right. the, the top box office right. draw. And so in their, in Hollywood's minds, it's still the Mark Wahlbergs and, and not the Samuel Jacksons and certainly not Stephen. But that's the thing because, okay, so like, we're speaking of, I'm sorry, we're speaking about Sorry to Bother You. What really intrigued me about Boost Ready casting Steven in particular for this role is because this character is, like I was discussing with Laura before, and with you, this character is a complete subversion of every Asian stereotype we've ever seen given to a male. He's, he's outspoken, he's sexy, he's, uh, he, he's romantically, I would say, proactive in that fact that he let, um, spoilers, he let um, Tess's character in Detroit know that he was interested in her, and he and he was leading a union, he wasn't, he was leading a, and, and from my, from what I'm reading, from what I understood watching it, this is something that he does, that he goes to different industries, and he goes to different companies, and he's like, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna help you guys start a union, and which means that he's, he's very strong-willed, and he knows what he wants, whereas he's in, in a lot of um, films and television shows, when you have Asian male leads, they're always like, when they're geeky, they're all they're they're extremely smart, but they're unsure of themselves. They're very self-conscious. Or if they're like um, dumb, it's like they're dumb without being without having common sense. Because there's a, there, you can have common sense and be an idiot, right? But they're but they're like there is always either one or the other. It's always in extremes. So I think like Stephen Yuen's character is a very good in the middle. And speaking about John Cho, his show Selfie, I hate that that show was canceled after the first season mm. because it was really good. I liked it anyway. And yeah, it's amazing. His character was, I loved his character because his character, first thing first, is a reimagining of a classic character yeah. from uh, uh, Professor, uh, Higgins. Professor Higgins. And I love the fact that they cast an Asian man for that role. And he's the one that's educating Eliza. He's like, this is how you should behave and it's not being and it's not and it's not done in a disingenuous manner right because he himself had his own faults and like they were helping each other and like one and they weren't stepping on each other to achieve what they needed to do right he said i'm gonna help you you're gonna help me and it was honest and i'll be and i'll be thirsty i love the fact that this man was in a suit three pieces all the time because i'm like john show deserves to be wearing suits all the time the scene where he pulls Eliza listen oh. and the breath pitches. oh my god listen. i remember like jaw dropping. I just thought I've never seen an Asian man do that on yes. TV, like Asian American yes. on TV. And I thought this is this is historical. Yes. And I like I was holding my breath. I was like, I wish John Cho would draw me I was like that. I, I was like, oh, I was and like, and the horse where he's on the horse. Yes, oh it's like fairy tale. It's fairy tale. Right? It was cheesy, but the part of the matter is yeah. he was playing that prince. He was playing. He was playing that prince charming role. He's like, I'm gonna be your knight in shiny armor. And it was and it was hilarious, but it worked because I'm like, I want a man to ride up on a horse and tell me things. I'm like, if he looks like John Cho, even better. I think what's interesting about John Cho, I see John Cho as leading now. He's hot. Yes, mm-hmm. he's great. 
Stephen is like, he's every man. Yes. Right? He's not extremely gorgeous, beautiful. I mean, to you me might disagree. Is. You might disagree, no, but no, no. to me, I don't, I, I don't I know see him as a straight man. He's that. like my friend's brother. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, I would see him be like, oh, he's cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like. Yeah, like, I see him next Like, time, I see so. him, like, I see him, like. No, but he can out. charm, like, I, he sure. Heard, it's like, so it's like cute. every bro dude that's yeah. in every movie, yeah. right? You're like, why does he get the girl? I mean, Stevie's better than that. He's charming. Oh, He's charming, right? Yeah. And I could totally, I mean, I could totally fall in love with him easily, but it isn't based on just his looks. Yeah. It's based on his performance right. and yeah. his kind of natural charm that he brings to every role. And I think that, um, yeah, sorry to bother you. It's interesting because I think in some way, spoiler, like I was like, oh, I wish he got together with us. I Esa. wanted them to get together um, at the end. I'm like, forget him. <laughs> go with him. And there go was that me. really strange scene where he, where she says, like, I did almost everything, but, and I think I, she's talking about him. Yes, I'm thinking that they and, made up, like, they had, like, they made up. But why like, does she have to say that? I wasn't like, like why is Paul the <laughs> fantasy? That can you imagine that you guys almost, Maybe she said, maybe we think everything... But, but the butt. Maybe. <laughs> but you never know. No, no, I don't know. But, yeah, because yeah. you never really see it except there, there was one scene where they kissed. Right? Yeah. yeah. But, but she kind of she kind of forcibly kisses him and yeah, because yeah. she's like, you know what, like, I'm gonna oh, go right. for it. Let's do this. Yeah. Well, and, well, when she kissed him, it was like it wasn't the first time that they had done. Clearly. So mm-hmm. it was Clearly. it was this like they've been they've been kind of feeling each other yes. out in the absence yeah. of Cassius, right? Yeah. And so I think I think yeah he, I was refreshing to see him because I feel like yes. There are Asian American activists. Thank you, finally, yes. for yes. showing this. Yes. Right? It's it's breaking the stereotype, but it's also representing reality. And and the way that he approached everything is kind of very Asian American in the sense that he wasn't he was effective, but he wasn't bullying, bossy, yeah. and obnoxious. He wasn't pushy. obnoxious. He wasn't pushy. Yeah. He wasn't obnoxious about it, but he was strong. Yeah. And, and I felt like there was an authenticity there where I think about all the strong Asian American activists in my life and how they um, and how they operate right because um because like a lot of people fail to realize that asian americans have been very active in um in activism in north america because a lot of people don't know because there was a very big um chinese um involvement um with the black action movement in the 70s like there were there were different organizations that were involved right so a lot of people don't realize this i'm glad that he in that that was included as a part of his character, and to think of another um, male agent character that's subverting tropes, I would say Randall Park's character, um, Agent Wu, Agent Wu, Jimmy Wu, Jimmy Wu in um, um, Atman yeah. and the Wasp. He, to me, his character was different in the fact that he was funny and he was and he was serious at the same time, right? Because like his, I loved his interactions with Scott because and I I mean, like I want more. I if they had included a an extra scene with the two of them going back and forth, I would have been happy because their 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 dynamic was very interesting to see because like you have this guy who's this Asian, he's like, I'm gonna get you and then he's like, by the way, could you show me this magic trick? And I was and I loved that, right? I was like, I want more lighthearted moments of like that in yeah. for for Asian characters. So um before I go up I'm talking about Randall because I have so much to say about Randall's part. Um but with Stephen Yuen and in, 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 in um, sorry to bother you. What I love about that also is that he mentioned STDs. Yes. Spoiler. Yes. Um, which is a voodoo thing against what Asian people talk yeah. about because when we do talk about right, uh, rights and all that stuff mm-hmm. and activism, 
we, we say to a certain point where it doesn't get, there's like still conservatism mm-hmm. with, within what we say. Pretend people don't have sex. Um, yeah, like it's like, you know. Or that you don't have unprotected sex. Or, 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 or that we don't reveal too much. We yeah. never, like Asian Americans, we don't reveal so much about ourselves. Yeah. And so when I do see activists who do reveal like, I'm a bit, like, you know, I, you know, I'm a survivor, I'm like this. And um, like, it's more like, it's, it's more impactful for other Asians because Asians don't talk about it. What mm-hmm. we do is we don't talk about the issues among with, among each other. And so when Stephen was like, you know, and, and then it was funny because in my mind, the first thing he said went, and chlamydia, like, <laughs> yeah, my this stuff. And it just made me think, like, Asian people, like, one, I'm like, it's so off norm. And it's like Asian people won't, wouldn't talk about that. Like, if I was like, if I was thinking, oh, I have chlamydia, I had chlamydia, I had a health thing, I would never say that. Not, right. Not outright. Right. Not to the crowd that you're trying to yeah. rally for us. Yeah. Social justice. And so that's why I was TMI. like... That, that, that was, On a large scale. Exactly. And that's what made me like, oh my God, this guy. Like, that's his charm. Yeah, that's his charm. He's very vulnerable and very authentic yeah. in all the ways. And that's why I was like, oh my God, I, I like he's so charismatic that you're just like... If you if you see him, you think you're, he's cute. But when you talk to him, it's yeah. like, oh, I'll, I would totally hit this. For you know? sure. Like, For I sure. wouldn't because I respect his wife, but whatever. <laughs> but like, just no. And then, and then Randall Park, yes. Randall Park is known for his comedy. And that's why he was hired. Yeah. Um, Peter Manning said, I hired Randall because he's funny. Mm-hmm. And this was written by Paul Rudd, like, and th- two other writers who are great. Um, and, but the whole film reads as a Paul Rudd movie. Yeah. And so um, they, every, I know a lot of people are complaining that, oh, he's just a comic relief, but this whole movie is a Paul Rudd movie. The whole movie is a comic relief. And exactly. they add action to it and suspense. So what, what Randall Park brought to the table was already what, what is part of the yeah, movie. Everyone's theme. funny. No one is serious. Yeah. Exactly. Even Walter Goggin is like hilarious. a worse, like, funny guy. And yeah. It's like, like it's, what's going on? Like, Randall Park is just playing, like, they played on his strengths, which is comedy and, like, silliness, because he's really good at that. He's really good at the cues and the beats. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why they hired him. They didn't like. Hopefully, they'll they'll have more stuff with him. Maybe he'll show it. But like, they hired him specifically because his beats are just so good. Exactly. And let's be honest, the MCU def- desperately needs like Asian actors because oh yeah, for, like, as superheroes, as, super, as superheroes, yeah, as, as agents, as and, and, and Latinx and Latinx, and Latinx yeah. right? I'm like, I thought Michael Pena, he's my favorite. I love him in both. In both I love. Him. He was the best part of the film. That's the only thing that like <laughs> he is. He was like. Everyone, everyone talks about um but that that scene where where he's like recounting I love those scenes right <laughs> the those flashback scenes, where, so where basically everyone's lip syncing yeah. him yeah those scenes that was kill beautiful. me every like, single time and, and the company's going down that's on me guys that's on me <laughs> <laughs> I always say that to you remember I'm like oh I'm sorry that's on me. Yeah. <laughs> I love those scenes. No, I would just want to watch a film with just, just him and Randall Park. The two of them. Although they're not in the same scene, I don't think. They should. No, he should. They should but be. Randall Park should interview him and ask him what happened with the Infinity War. Yes. Like, with yes. the recap of that. Like, hey, can you tell me what happened? And then he just starts from the beginning. I'm like, like Marvel, everything. if you were listening to this, like, we give <laughs> us the enough. credits. Give, like, this yeah. Is, yeah, give us the credits. But I would love a scene like that where he's like, just. Like, they just do a television spin off or something. Yeah, just a web thing or a web thing for yes, yes. just for no yes. like no like a web like a like a feature yeah. yeah. to prepare for for, for, like, for yeah he can even like so this is what happened here I like that would be the best like the thing, light turns yeah. on you see around the park now tell me <laughs> yeah. I like we need to know what's gonna happen like what's going on because <laughs> Park actually had his own web series where it was the it was the what was baby was baby, baby right? detective yeah the, um, it was the baby um uh, what was that series with the mind read the, the baby read or something it had baby in it yeah it was. 
was it was, it was, based, so on, good. It was based on another, t- but he, they were cops. Yeah. And so this reminded me of that. So he right. had his own web series his doing daughter. this before. Really? I, totally I have to wait. look it up. Oh, you have to see it because it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's on YouTube? Yeah, it's yeah. with his daughter because okay. the cutest thing ever. And they only stopped it because she got too old. Um, and they want you know, they want to protect her. But anyway, yeah. but, um, but that series was imagined before Fresh Off the Boat, before his career took off, I think. Or, yeah. It was before. Yeah. I mean, so, he did he did stuff like The Office and stuff, but. Right. Like, but this was still, he hasn't, like, yeah. he, had, he was not Marvel level yet. But, yeah. I, but bits of um, what I saw in Ant-Man and the Wasp, it reminded me of that. And I think that he could have been, like, bumbling and that would have been problematic. Yeah. But yeah. I think that, like, he was like, yeah, and I youth pastor on the side. Yeah, right. Like, little, right. little character details. <laughs> I just, uh, whoever wrote the dialogue threw that in there. And, and also, I just want to say that I think that we shouldn't hold actors accountable yeah. only. I mean, yes, there is a choice, mm-hmm. but I think it's the writing. Yeah, right? It's sure. the parts. There yeah. aren't enough parts still. And so actors got to eat. So that was part of my book too, where mm-hmm. actors said like, you know, we have to have the paycheck. Bill's we have the family. And so, and, and, and I, so I think that to hold them accountable yeah. for everything is discounting the fact that they're, you know, they're not the ones that create the rules. Oh, of course not. Really. Yeah. Dialogue. But they are the face, right? So it's really easy to target them. But yeah. I think that, yeah, if I were Randall Park, I'd be like, yes, to Marvel, right? Yeah. Give me whatever part you want. And, yes. then, and then put me in the universe so that, you know, next time I can get a bigger role. Yeah, I can affect yeah. The great way. thing is that they do have good writers like Paul Rudd, who is sensitive about that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and Peyton Reed uh, is sensitive about that stuff. Um, it's only if you run into writers that don't have the background or, or have the other sense of writers um, that it gets problematic. Um, but just like, but I know a lot of the, the writers said that they try to include people, diverse background right. people involved in this, the production and everything. So I think that's just the key to how we could write better um, diverse people. Exactly. So when, and, and for my next question, so coming off of for re- discussing writing, um, I, I had told you, and this is something that I was thinking about a lot recently, and I mentioned it before, when you have, when there's films and TV shows with people of different um, backgrounds, of different racial backgrounds and ethnicities and genders, I believe that it should be a mandate for the showrunners and the executive producers to have uh, at least one writer representative of the people that they're writing about. You have a, you have a show that has an Asian character, male or female. You have a black person, you have a Latino, you have or Latinx, or you have Arabic, Pacific, or whatever, you should have at least one rep- one writer representative about that. Because let's be real, white people, they, they look at things very myopically. Everything for them is, even if they, even if they grew up surrounded by other cultures, it's their, their perspective as a white person is shaped by their experience. And because they have privileges, privileges that they're born to simply by being white, they can't they, they, even if they say, oh, I've seen this happen in my neighborhood. Yeah, but you don't experience it. Seeing and experiencing are two different things. And even if you're writing about a show taking, kid, taking place in space, there are certain things that as a black person, as an Asian person, that we're going to experience that you will never understand and, and that you will never, you'll never get the nuances of those experiences, right? So I think for writers, they should have those. And it, not only because it provides perspective for the characters, but it provides writing jobs for people of different ethnicities and people of different genders and races, right? So um, so why do, you, why do you guys think it is that this is something that is not commonplace? Well, 
Um, just in general, I think that people hire people based on social networks. Yeah. And so if they are not, they don't have, you know, a diverse group of friends, they are going to be hiring people that look like them. Mm -hmm. And um, in my research, I did find that, um, I think it, I think it was actually um, the, the uh, showrunner for Walking Dead, what was his name, Glenn? No, Glenn. Um, the first one? The, yeah, the first um, yeah, he hires his friends. So, no, I, I actually... Matt, Matt Lord. <laughs> so, um, yes, okay, so um, so I actually think that he had um, a couple of Asian um, writers in the room, and someone, like, made fun of it, <gasps> right? Like, um, and so, and he and he, he publicly actually, yeah, I gave an interview about it, saying that there is also, uh, and this was maybe the, the kind of um, uh, studio heads were making fun of it. And so, so I think that there is this discriminatory, um, alienating kind of Glenn Mazar. Yeah, Glenn Mazar. So, so I think that unfortunately there was still that kind of um, just treatment of, of of writers. Where if you are a writer of color, I think that a lot of times people feel like you're a diversity hire, mm -hmm. and so writers rooms can be vicious because everyone's pitching, right? Everyone's giving their story, so. If you're not, you know, if you're one of only, so hiring someone, one of only, but then if the environment is one that's hostile and you're trying to prove yourself, it's, it's not great, you know, in terms of a writing environment. Whereas if there's, uh, and then this is, I think, up to the showrunner then to, or whoever's the head, head you know, writer in the room, up to them to really create an inclusive space where they are asking for those ideas versus just kind of hiring someone, putting them in because... Um, yeah, so just having kind of a diversity hire, like, and putting them on, they're often suspect to the other writers. Mm -hmm. So, so again, this is the whole, like, there's what's, what you see on screen and the numbers, but there's also the work environment. And we can all relate to this, right? When you're, I mean, in academia, when I'm the only woman of color, I am often the only woman of color in the room as, as a chair of my department. And you have to be so careful. This, this goes back to the code switching and having to always kind of say things like, that, you know, if I, I, I'm the kind of person that there, if I am seeing discrimination or there's something about, um, you know, racial inequality, I will speak up, but I have to be very uh, mindful of, is this the battle I want to fight or, or should I just stay silent or should I speak up and what will I say to actually be, have the best reception? Right. And I think that I would imagine in writers' rooms, it's hard because you want to write for people of color, but then you don't want to be only seen that that's the only thing, thing you can write for. Because I don't think white writers have that those narrow. It's, again, again, it goes back to the what you know the kind of othering of people of color versus whites can do anything, right? And those kind of the, the privilege, the privilege that. Um, that. I mean, Hollywood is hard for everyone, right? It's hard to get it. It's, it's yeah. cutthroat, and I think that because it is also. Um, very informal, kind of, you can be fired anytime. Everyone's kind of worried about their job. So there's a lot of posturing, a lot of um, trying to look like you're the best. And I think that when people of color are in the minority in those rooms, it's really tough. It is, especially since uh, there's a story I know, I can't, I can't say who, but there is, like, it is difficult because when you're the only person of color, one of the few people of color, and something happens on the show, people on that, they say, hey, you know, they automatically go to the person of color and go, how are you okay with this? How dare you do this? Yeah. It's like people don't understand that that person, like what you said, is the only person fighting for that and among a room of, of, of white people or non, non, um, not that like race. 
you know, and people are like, but people will always target that person of color because they're like, why didn't you fight harder? And um, there's a situation, I can't say who, what, but where, you know, this person of color was fighting so much for the, the like, against the storyline that they were planning on doing. And it happened. And, but they can't say anything about it. Yeah. Like, they can't really say, but they got a lot of slack for it because, you know, hey, you're the only, you're one of the only people of color on this thing. You know, what, what the, what the have happened, you know, what happened. And that person has to defend their, their colleagues because it's a decision that they all, like the can't throw them all under the you bus. Can't throw them under the <laughs> yeah, bus. I, I, I know a situation like that. I don't know if it's a situation, but it's, it's a situation. Um, I know a situation like that. And the thing is, is like when, yeah, when we're, when, when we're the only ones, it's like we bear, we have, we, we, there's so much pressure on us to be the best at everything and to, and when we are the only ones to be the advocate for everyone, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's amazing to me that more of us don't crumble, but we probably do it secretly in our rooms at night, crying, shedding tears in our pillows. But we always have to be strong. We always have to be upright. We always have to be be better. The, the people think that when we say this, that we're being um, that we're being saying something that's a catfish, that we're being patronizing. But no, generally, people of color always have to be better in most situations because we have we are seen as the torch bearers for our, our people in whatever those situations are. So if we are at work and we're the only person of color, we have to be look better, act better, speak better, you know, like the onus is on us to, to do to to be representative for everyone. So like when you're in a situation and you're the only person that you speak up and you, then you get ignored and then you get questioned, is like what are you supposed to do? So I can understand that and that's where the industry needs to do better with hiring more uh-huh. people of color for, for shows, right? So it's like it's like you it's like damned if you do and damned if you don't, right? Yeah. And and that's hard. And and then and I think that we can still hold um, white writers accountable. This whole situation sure. yeah. you guys are describing, it's not fair to blame them yeah. on the person of color because um, what about all the other writers? In the exactly. And I think that, that it's possible. If, I always say that if you can write a series about serial killers or some period piece, you got to, that's not from personal experience. Yeah. Hopefully, right? <laughs> right, right. It's yeah. research. You were not right? like, were not like when they were lighting gas lamps on the streets in England. <laughs> right. And there's so, I mean, everything is fantasy these days, right? And so I think that if, if, I mean, what I'm, I'm supposed to believe that you can write, you know, about an alien, but that you can never write about an Asian American. Mm-hmm. So I think that the, the kind of write what you know um, ideas, it shouldn't be like it shouldn't be used to let white yeah. white writers off. Oh, for sure, yeah, no, like, for for missing out on uh, opportunities to write uh, uh, like characters of color. Of, of course not. You guys know that way. I call up people on Twitter regularly. I'm yeah. like, sometimes I think in my head, I'm like, will I lose a, possibly lose an opportunity to write about this show or whatever? I'm like, screw it. Like, this is wrong, but I tweet about it. You know, like right? the yeah. show, um, there's a great show that has a great set of writers. Um, One Day at a Time on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike and Gloria are the showrunners. But um, Mike's a white dude. Gloria is um, a, a Cuban American who, you know, it's, her, it's a really her family story. Um, but what is great about Mike is that he always makes sure he, like, her, alongside, they both hire. He makes sure he, he moves to the side mm-hmm. and lets Gloria run run the show really and just does his part as an ally. Um, during the FYC panel, he just kept talking about his writers. He goes, "We have three um, LGBTQ." people from the community, we have majority women, we have Latinx, we have Afro-Latin, like they have a variety of people. Um, and he just, 
is an ally for them. He just says he listens to them and lets them really handle right. it. And what he does is just kind of be the voice of, okay, let me just say this yeah. because they'll look at me and see a white guy and listen to me versus anyone else. And so that kind of allyship is what you need for showrunners and writers. Like I know tons of head writers of shows and they always make sure they hire um, yeah. people of color and they make sure that they list, like push, they right. push those people um, with those stories up. Um, but it's really rare to see that. It is. It's, and, and, and in speaking about writers and even, or even like speaking about directors, um, there was a situation recently where I wanted, I talk about the show constantly, it's The Expanse. And I love this show and I love it for many reasons, mainly because with regards to the female cast, it's one of the most racially diverse female casts on television and in film, if you want to, if you want to, and in film. And there was a, a scene and like, I got super pissed. I was crying. I was so upset. And it has to do with a character called Drummer. Now, in the world of the expanse, the race as we know it does not exist. But the actress, Karagi, is First Nations, Canadian First Nations. Mm-hmm. And she's literally the only that I that I know of, only First Nations actress working on television. And the only other one that would was was the actress who was in um that it was John Smith, the one with Colin Farrell, where he was like John Smith and she was like Pocahontas. But that she was in that actress was in The Alienist, and I got pissed when yeah. I found out what happened yeah, to that character. I could not watch the episode. I stopped watching it because I'm like, I cannot watch and see this happen to this character. Because one, she was mute, yeah. so she had no, she couldn't speak. So, and then her so many women of color exactly in right sci-fi and fantasy right and so like yeah. her so her character is mute and so there's nothing wrong with that because she's uh she's a Native American woman with a disability which is something we do need to see on TV but the thing is that her what happened to her she died spoiler and her death was literally served only to provide emotional context for the male white male lead yeah so after that so uh, I was upset I was like I was uh, so after that I was like okay so Carrie is literally only. First Nations woman on television. So then, in the in, it was the pre-season finale. So it was the episode before the season finale where her character got injured, and so it's her and this other character, this white man, and they're both injured. And she makes a speech about basically sacrificing herself so he could be the king to lead their people, the Belters. And I am like, no. I was pissed. I wasn't even going to say anything because why I was, and I was hesitant, and I mentioned this, the reason I was hesitant is because the episode was directed by a woman of color. It was directed by an Asian woman, Jennifer Fang. And I said, and I was in my, before I said all the tweets, I was thinking, how many Asian female directors do we have? And I'm like, am I, and I'm like saying, I, because there was this whole thing, you know, where we, as people of color, we, we have this, this, we, we have this thing, like, we don't want to criticize our own people because of the opportunity, because, you know, there's already so few opportunities. We, like, we, we want to boost them up. We want to encourage each other. But then it was like, no, I don't agree with this. And yes, episode was directed by women of color. Yes, there are women of color is on the writing cat, on the writing staff. But I still have to say, I think this is a BS working call. So I did it. And I sent out the tweets. I'm like saying, because I said, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's wrong that we have this character, who's literally the only female Asian American, um, First Nations character, being killed, who, who dying, and she makes this speech about sacrificing herself for this white man. I'm like, listen, a, colon, a colonizer, and I, I said that, and I said it to me, I'm like, he's a colonizer. I'm like, the, the, the messaging behind this, I, I found extremely offensive and upsetting, and, and like people say, oh, you have to watch the show, like, keep watching the show, yes, she's not gonna die. But I'm like, in this moment, I don't think that this served the character at all. 
from a writing standpoint because I believe it could have been done completely. There was literally, uh, when you watch the, the ep- this episode that came after, that literally served no purpose, right? Like if you can take out her that whole that whole dialogue and nothing about the story changes. And I was like, as a person of color and as someone who knows the history of First Nations people in Canada, in particularly where the show is filmed, I'm like, this sends to me an extremely offensive message where we know about fridging, we know about female characters who get killed off, but then you got a First Nations woman getting killed off, sacrificing herself for a white man. I'm like, this is BS. Right? So I say that to mention the fact that as people of color, we always have to think about before we speak. And we always have to, and we do have the added burden of wanting to support each other, but having but having the need to like call out like, like, if we see things that have been wrong, right? Yeah, but that, I think that's the focal point of that because white people always get second chances, exactly. but Asians do not, or yeah, people of color do not. They, they get like, to fail upwards. They, yeah, <laughs> like, it's like this person messed up and now they're getting all this stuff. You know, it's proven that this person doesn't deserve another chance. Yeah. But when it comes to a white person who keeps failing, I'm just not going to say names, but... There's like, many. There's <laughs> many, like the Iron Fist guy. Um, I mean, Johnny Depp. Oh, oh gosh. Johnny Depp. I heard he was at Comic-Con. Yes. Yes, he was. Um, yeah, so those people... Domestic keep, violence? Um, no problem. Hey, the same... Box office, office failure, like for yeah. all those Alice in Wonderland things. Well, he's going to get, you know, another Harry Potter male movie. Yeah. yeah. He has a lot of chances. There's, there's so many of them. Like, there's just so many people who are problematic that keep getting... It's, it's, if you're... Like, just like in The Good Place, they said, you know, I'm for, I, I, I made myself a 44-year-old white man because I could only fail up. Yeah. That, and that, that was true. And, like, the way that they did it, it just, it, it just made you realize, like, I just want to... If I could come back and if I if I died and I could be reincarnated, I want to be reincarnated into a forty four mediocre Mike White man. Yeah, because that's the same. Because that's like that's like I would I would do so well in life. Exactly right. There's because that's like I've been saying and like a lot of people have been saying recently. I'm always have the confidence, at least half the confidence of a mediocre white yeah. man. Like the thing, like the things they say is like I don't have the confidence to even think I have the right to say and do that. Well, that's why, and that's why institutional level. Yeah, it's just um, it's it's a numbers game, right? There's just so many. uh, There's evidence because there's so many more chances Mm -hmm. for someone to succeed. Um, So anybody would succeed if if given like you know ten movies (laughs) and projects a year if you have you know some talent. And so I think that um, on an institutional level, people don't think of it as race and gender. But um, but they're not seeing that. I mean, if you were to just compare side by side the, the number of projects that Randall Park gets versus someone like you know Paul Rudd, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that in the same film, and then people will say, well, that's because Paul Rudd is so much more this this and that. But then I'm not I'm not just yeah no no no, no no yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah, just yeah. That, but, I, I know but, you're going but, yeah. but like they're both equally funny, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see Paul. I can see Randall Park. Basically, Paul Rudd does such a good job as kind of the everyman Ant Man that Michael Pena could be in that role. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. uh, you know, Randall Park could be in that role. Um, but then they're not. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, like, we still haven't seen an Asian American or Latinx um, superhero, so uh, superhero to date, right? and not not one that is a lead. There's there's some like auxiliary throwaway roles, but they're really not as leads. And I, it really is this. People say that they can't carry a film, but we don't let them try. Yeah. And there are opportunities. What I always point out that there are white male actors who are unknowns that then become you know superstars exactly. because you like Thor right that dude like was from a, a 
Australia or something? Yeah, he's yeah. from Australia. And so I think before Thor, he was not super well known. Yeah, the only thing he had done that people really knew before that was Captain <laughs> I mean, in the Woods. Woods. That was mentioned. That's, yeah, yeah, right? So, and it's true. I didn't see that film, there, so. it's, really, it's a really good horror movie. I so, think it deserves a sequel. But, but the thing is, like, we should call out people of color, going back to the topic, we should call out people of color who do do these problems, but it's, it's not to the point where we should call them, like, they should never do it again. Oh, no, for sure. But, but like, but, like, um... I was just thinking, man, that's a really bad decision. I mean, it's, it's tough, because, like, there's been movies that, like, a person who I've been wanting to lift up, and, like, I'm obsessed with, but they, their movie, I just, it, I didn't, like, feel like it was for me. Yeah. Um, and, but I felt scared to just kind of say it out loud, um, that whether or not I liked it or not, but... I mean, I but I was able to generally go around it and say like it just wasn't meant for me. Yeah, it was meant for another group of people for it. But I doesn't mean that I'm going to say this person doesn't deserve like to film. It's just that that person's talented, and I've seen all their other work, and I want them to do well and do more. Yeah, but we're allowed to just say like you know the, what they do is is I'm, there's a, always like a fear of that too. Like, well, I want to know let them know that this wasn't for me. But it doesn't mean that this person shouldn't be given another, like, another oh, chance because yeah, no. they are talented. So, um, yeah, it's really difficult whenever you see people of color, and then, but you want to say something. And you should if it's really that bad yeah. where it affects other people of color. If a movie is like, you know, whatever, then, you know, you can kind of ignore that and just like just try to like promote that and help them But because you want to lift each other up. But um you should call out if, there, if there's any problems. Yeah, because the same, going back to the same thing for Expanse, the thing is, is like, so she died, so that director, she directed two episodes for the mm-hmm. Expanse. And I'm like, and the thing is, like, that episode was almost perfect. It, like, her direction, like, she did beautiful direction for, for the show. But that one scene, I was like, ah, we gotta take it this out. And, and so, like, I did, I felt that I did feel the need to, to speak about it because, as I mentioned, like, she, Carrie is literally the only First Nations actress. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's important that we understand the context because people are saying, oh, you don't read the books, whatever. I'm like, I read the books. I know who her character is going to be because she's a because they what it is they combine like three different characters into her and two of the characters that they come that day that she's made up of die so I'm like I think I have the right to assume that she's gonna bite the bullet when two of the people that she's made up of dies in the book mm-hmm. right and I'm like just take just even ignoring that like just the whole concept of this woman of color sacrificing herself for a white man that to me was problematic because but then I do I do I will mention that her. The episode that she directed after, which was the first part of the season of the season finale, was gorgeous. And I, I let her know that on Twitter, I'm like, this was a gorgeous episode. And I and I told her like one of my favorite parts of the whole season was a scene that she did in the hallway. And I said this, I I, I let her know. I'm like, I appreciate everything you know, and like, you did beautiful direction, and everything. So like I I and. And I and I did I will admit I did feel the need because I even if she because if she did she probably did because the showrunner saw he retweeted he mentioned retweet but I said I want her to know that even though I disagree with this part of your of your directorial decision and part of writing because it's been writing too I I do support you as a as a director like you did beautiful work and she has a film on Netflix that I want to like tweet about and it's but I think it's that I just it's important that we are able to be honest in the community especially in the film industry because. The way how we how we are um, portray on film and television is how people perceive us yeah. in real life, and we have to be. We shouldn't have to be, but we do have to be careful of how we are, how we portray each other, and how we speak about each other. Because we, if we want people to stop looking at us as other, we have to stop portraying us as others too. And before we wrap up, because we think, oh, but okay, there's a difference between I was going to say, yeah, there's a difference between film criticism 
Yeah. Uh, like TV, like a film criticism and criticism of a person. Exactly. What you're doing is just criticism of her art, but yeah. not of her. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I know you mean, and like, but then suddenly, you know, suddenly you're like, I don't want you to think that I think you Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's tough, right? It's a hard place to be in. But um, so before we wrap up, I have two final questions for you. And one is, of course, we have to talk about Scarlett Johansson. And <laughs> no, and the reason I'm going to mention, um, talk about her is because. When we have actors who, who 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 think it's so it's okay to portray not only different gender but a different race and and then and and dis, and dismiss it, we have to make. I think it's important that we address these kind of things because we don't want it to become commonplace. Because then, if we allow it to keep happening, we're going to have more and more actors saying, "If Scarlett could do it, why can't I?" I'm like, no, it's not. It, it, no, you can't. Right and and especially at the point in history, and especially in film history, I would say, where we have more films coming out in August. I think more than in any other year, starring Asian Americans and Asian people in the Summer movies. of Asians. Summer of Asians. Like, I think it's important that we address these things, right? Especially because we, if we want to, if we want more summers of like Asians or, and more, for hopefully, hopefully winters and falls, winters yeah. and falls, and, <laughs> yeah. and for and for Indians and for South and South for Southeast Asians, we want more film with yeah. more people of color. We have to make sure we have to address these things to prevent that kind of thing happening in the in the future, right? Yeah, I think I think we just need more. I'm not saying that. Yeah, because I think that yes, eliminating whitewashing is definitely part of it, but we just need more films casting and stories mm-hmm. written by. And I think that I, I was just talking to a reporter this morning. I, I realized that like all the kind of the 25, 20 year gaps between um, Flower Drum Song super early on and then Drilla Club and now um, Crazy Rich Asians and even in between the namesake, they were all based on novels written by Asian Americans. Right. So it's like when the source material is contingent on another industry where maybe people of color are excluded or not as, although I think that there are probably are more Asian American novelists than Asian American Hollywood oh, um, for sure. oh, yeah. writers. So, so yay for that. And so maybe there is more source material, but I think that, um, why aren't white people writing about Asians? Why aren't, you know, why, why is it that, not that, uh, this gets tricky, right? Because we want authenticity, we want to support Asian Americans, but I, again, that doesn't let white writers off the hook to just write. So if we all are in our own silos yeah. writing our yeah. own um, stories, then, um, I mean, this is the United States where we are in diverse communities. I don't only have Asian friends, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here we are sitting here, you know, in, in a cross-ethnic, cross-racial um, friendship and business, you know, uh, environment. And I think that that's true for everybody who's in North America. And so I think that that's kind of re- silly to think that we can only write about ourselves. Yeah. And, and so, and so, yeah, I want Asian writers to be writing black roles and yep. Latinx yep. roles. Yep. And, and I think that we, um, we need to be, we need just need to kind of put our resources behind pushing for more stories. Yes, we fight the whitewashing battles, but, um, and, and we are fighting them because, hey, there's a leading <laughs> Japanese role coming up. And why is it going to Scarlett Johansson? I think we fought, we fought so hard because there was no, there was no crazy rituals. There was yeah. no mm-hmm. to all the boys I've loved before. There was nothing. Yep. And then the only thing that comes out is like is Scarlett Johansson. It's, it's so frustrating when that happens. I know, right? I was yeah. like, so. I'm like, Rinko Kikuchi is right there, people. Yes, and she's just right there. They're all like identical. It's embarrassing, really. I agree. Like it's. I was speaking to a writer a few. I don't know if it was with him, but like 
he, when he was pitching to other people, he was telling people, um, hey, we're gonna, I want to add this character. His name is going to be Jose. And then the one other writer was like, oh, we already have a Javier. Why do we need to have another? And he goes, what? like, there's no, and he tells them, there's no quota to one diversity, one diversity. Like, because why can't we have five, like, three white guys exactly. and one black guy? Exactly. We can have two, two la- Latinx. We can have two black guys. We can have, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be one or the other and one token. Yeah. Because if you have one, it becomes tokenism. Exactly. And if you have, like, two, then maybe it's like, it's like, how friends um and so what writers need to understand is that when you're writing you there you write as a you would with a group of like a diverse group of friends because like how society is now when you go outside you're going to see a variety of people and it's not just going to be one latin guy like latinx guy with like eight white guys in one group it's going to be like and if you go to an asian group they, are, they do have a mixed group yeah. too um wong fu has also talked about that but you know it's like everyone needs to be writing how it reflects nowadays like mm-hmm. friends if it was today like written today it would look completely different yes um and hopefully, so, hopefully. Oh, so, no. we, we just had girls, so yeah. But that was her, her, her whole thing. Her so that was her idea and background. Um, and how she was raised. Goes to, this goes back to the yeah. whole writing what you know. Yeah, right? which is well, yeah. Branch up people, branch up friends. <laughs> but then, it, it, but then it's also the people who are picking out those shows. Mm-hmm. That need to that like the people who make the decisions like that guy saw girls Lena Dunham and said you know this white privilege show should be on should be on HBO yeah. and so it's whoever's picking these shows I know tons of people pitching shows about like just different aspects of life and their story or someone else's stories um, it just needs to be the executive picking out yep. what they want and 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 then the showrunner deciding how do they want it to reflect. Um, the world today and so like Fear the Walking Dead uh, Fear the Walking Dead had issues because we needed more Latinx Latinx and also Asian and because you're in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. this is like the most diverse of like of all of all places and so it's majority majority Latinx and it's majority Latinx and so um, I was glad that they had um, Cliff but then they got rid of him so I was like um, I was like hey Um, but then you know it's just important to always make sure that you include writing staff and the executive produce like the executives who pick the shows needs to really filter what needs to be on, what's needed and what's necessary. Right. That's why I'm glad, I'm glad that, um, um, like there, there's several like head of DC has an like, Asian American head running the show, like for the movies and stuff. And then ABC has Shannon. She's a, a, um, a black woman who just like makes sure that she picks. Yeah. But she picks, she picks like, she makes sure she picks like diversity too. And then she got rid of Roseanne to thank God. So, and that was, I don't think that was her decision, but anyway, but like those people though, those people need to be the ones who go, who needs to help make the decisions. Yeah. They need to be like, not enough people of color here. This is not realistic. Rework this or give me another pitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so that goes into my final question, and it has to do with ethnicity. So, this is again something that we've spoken about before, where you have diversity, racial diversity, but we don't see a lot of ethnic diversity in film and television. In that, when we see relationships, for instance, we're, um, like, I've been talking a lot about interracial relationships, we don't see inter ethnic relationships. And, um, I think that's something that needs, that's another thing that needs to be improved upon in film and television because 
I'll be honest, as someone from Toronto and from the Caribbean, like I do know that there are other people apart from Chinese and Korean. And, and yes, those are like, someone was telling me, okay, so maybe that's just the actors going up for the role. I'm like, huh. I'm sure there are writers of different ethnicities going out for acting roles too, but like maybe the the not necessarily casting directors because as a found out, casting directors only give the directors what they ask for. Where directors have to ask and writers have to make roles for people who are Thai, Vietnamese, Malaysian, Indonesian, Southeast Pacifica. You know what I mean? And and I think this is a, something else that we need. Something else that needs to be addressed. So in in film and television, because we, we we're speaking about colorism now. And as as dark skin black woman, that's extremely vitally important to me. But as one from a Caribbean island in the in the West Indies, apart from Jamaica, because people think that Jamaica is the only a lot of people think Jamaica is the only island in the Caribbean. I want to see people of who are Bajan, who are Trinidadian and Grenadian and, and um, Tobago, and, and like the same. I want to see that for myself. I'm sure you guys want to see other Asian actors of different ethnicities, right? Yeah, um, well, I'm a Southeast Asian um, right. and also East I'm mixed. So um, it's, I, I mean, even in Thailand, there's so much colorism and problems. Um, and but the thing is, with American audiences, there's not enough of us. Mm-hmm. Like I understand, like whenever people audition for like like Daniel Day Kim is playing the Japanese um, character in um, Hellboy. Yeah, and but I understand that we aren't big enough yet. Like where mm-hmm. we could just like. We're, it's still so difficult for us, so I understand why he would take the role yeah. and why he played a uh, Chinese American in in Hawaii Five O because yeah. we we aren't we aren't there yet. Where like Leonardo DiCaprio played the Italian and all this stuff. Like we aren't there yet. Where um, we just don't have enough people. It, yeah. Like that uh, they don't notice us enough to kind of distinguish that because Hollywood doesn't care. Like and the thing is, we need to push. I think when we get our foot in the door and we are able to establish a lot more actors, um, then I feel like we could start to distinguish. Right. Uh, my big thing is I'm okay with other actors like Thai playing Chinese, mm-hmm. playing Vietnamese, um, because there's a lot more Chinese, Japanese, Korean roles open. Like yeah. every, there's so many like, oh, we need, we're looking for a Korean person. I'm okay with Thai, Vietnamese, and Southeast because. There's not many roles that come. I've never seen the role for a Thai person other than from Thailand, and Tony Cha is always that person. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, and I and like there's really no roles that they distinguish for Southeast Asians. Um, so whenever people complain, oh, a Thai person auditioning, it's like or a Vietnamese. I'm okay with those kind of situations too because there's not many yeah. of us. Um, You're just like I'm. Just so happy. At least one like, of us got the role. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I like Daniel Day Kim is is a great actor, and I love him in every role he does. I do wish because Hellboy is such a big franchise. Yeah. I'm okay, I was okay with them going for a Japanese because it wouldn't have mattered um, who was cast in that role. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Daniel being picked, uh, uh, Daniel being picked is fine with me yeah. still too. Yeah. Um, but Star Wars when they picked Kelly Marie Tran and uh, Veronica No um, in those roles, and they were knowns. Um, I was so happy about that, and they weren't distinguished like Vietnamese, but they made those two women Vietnamese, Vietnamese. so that made me really happy. Uh, but they like big franchises. If they could cast unknowns, because no matter what, those those franchises are, will always do well. Mm-hmm. So I get when the smaller ones are always cast the same Asians and the same Asians to those roles. But um, I'm hoping that that will eventually change, and that the big franchises Marvel 
Like, honestly, Marvel could probably pick out, like, an Asian actor, and that person's going to explode. Yeah. Um, like, look at Scarlett Johansson. She's always been indie. And, the, and everyone's all like, oh, she's pretty. Like, you know, honestly, she's not a, she's not a, a box office hit person. She's, the only, she, she's only famous because of Marvel and Lucy. And that's it. And Lucy's essentially her character in Marvel. Yeah. And so... And Lucy's... I would say that almost... Also, I would also say... A lot of people might not agree with me. I would say that Lucy's almost a kind of a cult classic kind of thing. Because a lot of people have not actually watched yeah. Lucy. Only like a certain... I haven't seen it either. I know what it's about. And I've yeah. seen the synopsis. But I'm like... The plot... That kind of story doesn't... Didn't appeal to me. So I never watched it. So like... I would say that only people who are like... Lumbasson fans... And like fans of hers... Yeah. Are the ones who really paid attention to that film right so it's like yeah but if you cast like an Asian person like a random actor in Marvel that person's gonna explode exactly. anyway because they're in that Marvel franchise DC franchise so like I'm, I'm fine with any Asian kind yeah. of going for that role until we make it big and then we could start distinguishing yeah. everything I think that there also needs to be again back to the writing that um, actually have even in a single movie or TV show, writing that different ethnicities exist amongst Asians. Like, I think that Dr. Ken was on for two seasons. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Ken was very uh, overt about he's Korean and his wife is Japanese. Mm-hmm. And they had actual episodes dedicated to talking about, I think they were like, it was comedic where they're like, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to impose, not impose, but I'm going to pass, pass along my... Yeah. Korean, you know, um, ethnicity onto my kids, and then he came out and like a like a female. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's silly, but still, it was a, it was yeah. an actual yeah. dress. Um, and then she, you know, she's the Japanese American, and so she taught them that. And I thought that that was it was the first time actually that we had a family drama that was second and third generation, right? Yeah. Where you have kids grow up, where, where the parents actually grew up in the United States, and their kids are third generation. And that, that I hadn't seen before. So there were actually, that, that show actually had a lot of firsts, even though it really, you know, didn't make it past season two. But um, it did go to season two. It right? did go to season yeah. two. So, because I actually took my students and we saw a live taping. And the taping that we saw was his dad was this ladies man. Yeah. And I realized I've never seen an older Asian gentleman, Asian American gentleman as a ladies man, where the... The white Canadian, and he's Canadian, but in the show he's just white. The, um, he, the, the great comedian, he, he, he was like asking him for tips, mm-hmm. right? Can you let me know like what you're yeah. doing? And I thought that was so rare, right? Where it really showed that he had game. Um, so I think the writing, like actually distinguishing that there are different ethnicities within, it's, it's so valuable to have it within one show versus like, right. Because rich Asians, they're all supposed to be Chinese, mm-hmm. even though they're you know being played by different um, Asian ethnicities. Yes. But I think that um, that if they continue to have sequels, they hopefully can bring in um, the different ethnicities. Because right. in the books, they actually go through all of Southeast Asia yeah. in terms of um, many different relatives that they're you know and friends that come into um, the the storyline, the narrative. So hopefully, if they were sequels, that they could give that opportunity because I think that source material is there. We just need more, we need better writing to actually hit all those ethnicities, including all the, you know, different Caribbean ethnicities. Yes. Uh, yeah, like when you listed them, I just thought, yeah, I've never seen anything that actually talks about that. Like, yeah. Just even, you know, one day at a time having a Cuban family. Yeah, I haven't seen that since, you know, I love Lucy, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like, um, like I hadn't seen a Cuban, um, even though like we have Cuban politicians, you know, who are, you know, in the GOP, who yeah. are very prominent. Um, yeah, so I think that there's a lot of diversity, and but then there are also Afro Cubans, right? Yeah. So we're seeing the kind of lighter skinned Cuban 
families, but there's also Afro-Cubans. So even within ethnicity, yeah, right? You think about yeah. Brazil, right? Yeah. You think about that there's different... People, people of color. So I think we're so... Like, I think that's the beauty of us because there's so much um, there's so much earth culturally and ethnically and like speaking about... If you have writers who understand those different cultures and those different ethnicities doing in, in a show, when you can um, have shows where they speak and address it and, and, and use it as an educational tool mm-hmm. and where you can learn the difference between Japanese culture yeah. and Korean culture and Thai culture, like there are differences, right? And and I think that's that's important. Huge differences. We speak the same language. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> exactly. We don't. I mean, Cambodia, Laos, and Thailand, which are all yeah. neighbors, we don't. You know, right? Like, and then the same thing, like, even if I go, like, personally with Caribbean, like, Bajan dialect is completely different to Jamaican dialect and and to um, Western and to Trinidadian and like um, like Barbadians. We speak English and like a lot of people think uh, and like no shades and like I'm not gonna um, because a lot of people. I don't thought know. you. I know you, you have a language. I know. Can you ask me what language I'm like English? And I'm like, uh, what, what? What's your official language? I'm like English. And I'm like, <laughs> but I'm like all that. Yeah, exactly. I'm no, like, I was thinking, yeah, colonialism. That's why I was like, oh, I I, I thought it would be Spanish or yeah, no, French. No, right here. Um, I think most of the stuff which are also colonial. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, because I, I was like, what's the language before you were colonized? I remember I asked you that. Yeah, yeah, like, what's you, the you did, before? right? And so, like, the only the language I would say before we were thinking where it would be because we had Arabs and Caribs would have been I don't even know what their official language is because I'm sure I learned it in primary school, but I completely forgot about it. But we only have islands like Martinique and. Um, and Montserrat, where they speak French, and then there's like Dutch, and then there's like also there are some islands that speak Dutch or, or like variations of Dutch because they got settled by the Dutch. Yeah. So it depends on who we got settled by, but Barbados got settled by the lovely old English because you know colonization yeah. and you know the good old slave trade because we were the most Western most port port in the Caribbean trade. So that's where they brought the slaves from Africa to Barbados and spread us all around. But um, but yeah, but it's important that we have we like we need the writers, and I'm sure the writers out there trying to get the writing jobs. So we need, as you said, the the people in charge to be paying attention and paying to, to writers of different ethnicities and to stories of different ethnicities. And to me, that's that because that like you mentioned in the book, um, um, there's a quote from somewhere to say where you have people where you have businesses that have di- diverse employees. Um, that are diverse, you know what, what's the word I'm trying, what's I'm trying to say? Where you have companies or businesses where they have a large diversity of ethnic, of ethnic and racial people, they are some of the most profitable companies. Like Hollywood needs to realize that if you keep making projects featuring people of different colors, of different genders, of different races, you will make money. For goodness sake, right, more innovation, yeah. more innovation. Exactly, right? I'm like, different perspectives. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Black Panther is to your. think more, to, to come up with better ideas. Yeah. Because we're all have the same ideas, yeah. then it's the same stories. It's, exactly, it's right? Yeah. yeah, like use Black Panther as your, litmus, as your litmus test people. Like, Black people, we went out in droves repeatedly to watch Black Panther because it was all like anything we had ever seen. If companies like Disney and and, and DC and whatever, and they invest in stories about characters that are Latino, Asian, for what's it, um, Amadeus Chow? Yeah. I'm sure you'd be making a ton of money from the Asian community going out to see Amadeus Chow as the hook. Like, the money is there, and we all, because we all know that's what they really care about, the money. Yeah. Like, you want my money, 
give me what I want. Well, Black Panther was set in Korea, partly, and they actually did an incredible marketing um, tour where they actually Mm -hmm. visited Korea. I saw them doing karaoke, which is, I think it's really interesting because I think in Asia, you really have to do the variety show kind of circuit. It's it's like so important. Very different from here. I mean, people do go to the the night night talk shows. Right, but you got to play, you got to meet your, your, you know, you got to meet people, you have to like talk to audiences. It's, It's very much more Interactive. Yeah, interactive. Chadwick won the best um, Hollywood actor star award in China, and they were like, "How did he? How did they know you?" He goes, "I have no idea." But he like it's it's like they they really promote themselves out there. Like Ryan Reynolds was on a Korean show or Japanese show where he's singing about unicorns or something. Oh yeah, right. So it's really important, and I think that if they do that with an Asian American with people of color, oh yeah, they need to do that. Yeah, and I so yeah, so I think that why not have a so even if they were to have a Korean American folk. They, that guy needs to go to Korea, right? Yes. And they and, and also all the other all the other places. And I think that um, they need to they need to give us as much money to promote as they do the traditional yes. you know white uh, yeah. movies. And yes. I think that's they haven't in the past. And that's part of the discrimination as well, where they're like, oh, these films don't do well internationally. But partly it's because they're not giving the marketing exactly. and distribution funds in the same way. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I'm really excited because I'm going, I'm covering searching this weekend uh, for International Junket. Mm-hmm. And that China actually cares about searching, which stars John Cho. And uh, this is the first time in a long time that I've seen like an Asian American lead and that China actually cares about. I'm giving you... Um, so and it's not a Chinese American. And it's not Chinese yeah. American. I wonder if it not, has, there's no and there's yeah. no Chinese person in the movie that kind of is doing that. So, mm-hmm. like for me, when I got the email saying that if, if I needed to cover, I, well, they wanted me to cover that. I was so shocked and to see that they actually want to publish and write about me write about a movie starring an Asian American, uh, not even Chinese American, but Asian American, um, and it's going to be released there. Yeah. Yeah, so um, to wrap up, I just, so thank you so much, ladies, for talking about me. And I am hoping that after this discussion and going forward, because we, we're going to have a summer of Asians, that we get to see what we want, which is more representation in film, and not only more representation racially and ethnically, but story-wise, I want to see more characters like Stephen Yuan's character in Sorry to Bother You. I want to see more films like Searching with John Cho, because like, I love horror, I love thrillers, and I'm, and I'm like, aesthetic. So watch that because I, yes, I love John Cho and it'll be great to see John Cho in a thriller, right? And and so I'm hoping that we, that moving forward, that Hollywood does pay, continues to pay attention because I think they have been, but I think they need to be paying attention to everything that is being said and not just trying to check off boxes and say, okay, we have a black actor, we have Asian. I want more... I want more in-depth storylines for the characters. I want more chances for writers and, and for those pitching stories instead of them rebooting films and shows that we didn't ask for, that we get new and proper stories. Like Enter the Dragon. Oh, oh Lord. That's another, oh, that's, another, that's another topic for another time. But yeah, no, boo. Like, if you're going to do it like Laura suggested, Justin Lin, I'm like, first it first. Okay, you know yeah, what I mean? Let me take yeah. Because I'm like, my, the, the problem is that the first person they all there considering is a white man. Like, you're first. But Justin Lin passed on it. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he has Warrior, that's why, and that's a Bruce Lee inspired, yeah. like, well, written yeah, by but, Bruce but, Lee but, story. But, but does Enter the Dragon even really need to be read? Like, do it these things, like, no, no like, let, let, no, that is his, and leave it to, leave, let it be. <laughs> like, no one's gonna do it as well as Bruce no, Lee. No, right? And they're not gonna have to heart because that was his, that was like a passion project for him, right? So it's like... Listen, I love Bruce Lee. I love Bruce Lee so much. I have, I have a poster of him in my, in my, yeah. in my office. Um... He wouldn't want it just to be focused on him. Like yeah. we need to have more. There's more than just him. And his legacy was to to kind of push Asian Americans out there. And it shouldn't just only be solely him. And that's why we should branch out to other other stories that mm-hmm. like creatives of that like of Asian Americans of the now and today. Yeah. We can't keep going back, back to Bruce Lee because yes, he's the, like he's the first person. If, if you ask him name an Asian uh, Asian actor it's like Bruce Lee Bruce Lee and this is like there's more than just Bruce Lee and we need to tell the other stories that's not just Bruce Lee yeah. we need to create another icon we need another we icon, need an icon like, like, I'm telling you Chong Yong yeah. Yong fat would have been that but I don't know what happened oh wait that film with Freddie the Reno um, thing <laughs> the bullets the, the bulletproof monk you know I, I, it's time for an Asian American I want or westernized yes. Asian yeah I, um, I miss Chong Yong because I, I see so many Asian Asian films and I support that and I watch them I still support them they're on my walls um, but it's nice to see someone who would grow up in a westernized culture and community that can kind of take the mantle, and several of them can take the mantle of being the next, like, hero or next um, lead actor. Or anti-hero. Or anti-hero. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, again, thank you, ladies, so much for talking to me, and I hope we get to do this the next time I visit Los Angeles, which I hope won't be another year from now, but before. <laughs> so, again, thank you so much, and I hope that the industry improves.